everybody. My name is Ember Kelly. I use she and her pronouns, and I am the Director of Religious Education at the Fourth Universalist Society in the city of New York. And even a year and a half into saying that title, it doesn't ever feel any shorter to say that one's a, that one's a mouthful. Um, but I am so excited to have an amazing guest for our February in Conversation series. So we started this uh, series it started a little bit before I started at the position in 2020, but then as we were online and as our adult education program was developing, the In Conversation series uh, kind of developed as this opportunity to bring in unique voices and have them share with our community, but also with the wider UUA world. Um, and so uh, I am so excited that today I get to sit down with someone who I consider a dear friend, uh, but also someone who I think uh, is really doing amazing work uh, in the UUA for uh, thinking about how to widen the circle, which is our uh, monthly education theme in February, is about widening the circle. And I think that she's really uh, helping rethink paradigms around collaboration and things that she does just constantly inspire me. And I'm so excited to get to sit down with Jill Novinsky today. So Jill, would you like to introduce yourself to anybody who doesn't know you perhaps? Yeah. Good evening, everybody. I'm Jill Novensky. Uh, hey, Jen. <laughs> uh, I am the Director of Religious Education for Children and Youth at the Community Church of New York, right here in New York City. So it's good to see everyone, and I am extremely excited about our conversation tonight. Jill, uh, since you've introduced yourself, would you like to tell us a little bit about some of the recent work that you've been involved in? Yeah, for sure. So I've been teaching at Community Church for 12, 13 years, but I came on as the director of religious education in December of 2019. So it was about four months before we went on a lockdown. And, um, you know, if necessity is the mother of invention, a lot of incredible things were born from that time. So I, uh, I recognized an opportunity um, for collaboration. It just seemed natural. There were people that were struggling uh, as religious educators. There were families that were looking for programs that were diminishing because of resources. There were lots of things happening, lots of pastoral care needed it all the way around. And it just occurred to me what a great opportunity for us to kind of support one another as religious educators and support families during this time if we banded together and created a thing. Um, I was kind of recognizing right off the bat that traditional summer camps obviously were going to close. Uh, we were what in March, April. And as I made that realization, you know, it dawned on me, why don't we create a summer program? So a lot of times in religious education, there's not a heck of a lot that goes on in the summer, but we knew everybody would be kind of holed up and in need. And we had a lot to offer between us. And if we could lift each other up uh, and do a thing together, that that made the most sense. So we created something called UU Kids Connect, which is an inter-congregational collective, originally of six different congregations. And we created a summer program, eight Unitarian Universalist principles, eight weeks, three times a week, grades K through uh, eight. We serviced, we taught, we taught in teams of two, we met weekly uh, to plan things out. And um, it just was really a wonderful thing. We registered 192 families. I think the uh, program spanned across 16 or 17 different states. Uh, we even reached Canada. We even had one kid travel to Paris, France and tune in for our program from there, which was fabulous. And it still goes on today. We're still doing UU Kids Connect. You know, I've had some folks tune in from further out, but I've, I've not had Paris. I think you might have me, you might have me beat on that one, Jill. As someone who started at my position in, in the midst of the pandemic, and you started at yours right before the pandemic started. So we, um, we both kind of bonded over that shared experience of being new to, to this DRE world while also in the midst of a giant paradigm shifting thing of the global pandemic. Um, and it's, it's, it's been a real challenge, but at the same time, I, I like to think that it's allowed us to sometimes uh, experiment with new methods and new ideas that probably maybe would have gotten completely blown over. I th you know, I think back to, to pre-pandemic life and if I had, you know, said in my interview process, like, I think that we should offer something on Zoom like once a week, you know, that 
I don't know that that would have gone over well <laughs> as, as a proposal. Um, I mean, so there's just been a lot of lessons learned about things that we can, uh, ideas that maybe would have been uncomfortable trying pre-pandemic time, that because of the shift to being online, the shift to being digital and just rethinking what community can mean to us, have, have really enabled us to try new things. Yeah, I mean, right before we even logged on here, I was saying it's almost like now it's a fifth dimension, like it's almost now something that you want to include and be aware of and tap into any chance you get because it it just expands all of the possibilities for connection and learning and growth and uh, bonding. I mean, it feels uh, my sort of philosophy around collaborating uh, certainly when we started UU Kids Connect, there are other ways that I've, I've created, the other systems that I've created to try to shift the paradigm. Um, but I felt with UU Kids Connect particularly, like it was really a challenge to the whole denomination. Like if we're, say, if we're about what we say we're about, like how do we show that? And there's no greater um, ground to find that out in than when you're in collaboration. There's so many places where you have to challenge yourself to decenter your your yourself put your ego to the side to have faith that everyone is coming with gifts you know um to be all right with like whatever your vision was in your head to identify that that's what that was and that's not necessarily what the whole will be you know there's a lot to be learned in that space about ourselves and um, a lot to be gained in that space working together. It's just super transformative space. And I think that it does absolutely affirm for me anyway, uh, that if we live these values into action, that they really are pretty phenomenal values when lived fully, you know? So it's exciting. Right, uh, you know, you named it as, as how collaboration can be this real uh, space where you have to to set aside where you're working together is often something lots of us talk about um, and you know is out there you know and lots of uh, corporate trainings when you started a new job lots of things in there about like ah oh, working together teamwork but to actually really dive into collaboration and especially um, I feel like ministry and religious work can often be really territorial um, and collaboration is a, is a challenge to that when it's about like how all of us succeed versus I need my program to succeed is, is a little bit of a paradigm shift. Yeah, I, I actually will say that I it, recognizing that I come from certain points of privilege in my work was blessed to have a senior minister who had just come on scene at Community Church, Reverend Peggy Clark, who gave me the green light to she had a vision to transcend the church walls. And that was before the pandemic. That was when I first started. So, um, you know, I just hadn't, I mean, I'm definitely an outside the, the box thinker um, for sure. Uh, so I took that directive and was going to run with it, whichever way that happened. But I never could have imagined that, you know, I would have been handed this kind of global context within which that made all the sense in the world. You transcend the church walls. That blessing sort of gave me the opportunity to not feel proprietary. Um in our collective for this particular program, UU Kids Connect, we were very clear as a collective from the beginning to um, create a mission statement, to create a covenant, work in covenant together, but also to uh, reaffirm over and over that what we were doing had nothing to do, we were gonna be consciously not trying to poach members from other churches. This, the, the effort was about you know, uh, keeping the flame lit Basically, I mean, that's really what it's been about this whole time, because there are so many smaller places in the country or where, you know, where programs are wanting or there aren't programs or, you know, so many of us who are religious educators, I'm not assuming everybody here is, but those of us who are understand what it means when you have a class full of second graders for some reason and like one senior, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's really lovely if that senior can have something to tap into programmatically that still is all about the values that we, we uphold, um, but, you know, doesn't have to be happening within their church walls, keeps the flame lit until something like that can get generated where they are. So it's really great. 
right? Oh, na naming the real realities there with the, the tons of kids in one age range, and then and then one other that's the, the outlier. Oh, definitely, yeah. definitely happens. But I mean, you know, you you talked about uh, transcending there, and I know one of the things that we've talked about a lot in the past and in one-on-one -on -one conversations is about like moving from like. Uh, traditional like vertical structures and like I mean you were kind of hitting hitting on it there and talking about like focusing on we're not we're not trying to poach each other as church members we're just trying to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to be spiritually nourished to to have community um you know so how to what does it mean for us to begin to like transcend these traditional vertical power structures and like move towards maybe more of like a collective um, way of doing things like what, is, what does that look like for you in your life both as an educator but just in general yeah in general is right I, I think uh, the the work that I've done through my work um, has totally translated into my personal life um, the amount of self-reflection that has to happen if you're going to be able to collaborate effectively um, it just really kicks things up a notch and takes it to the next level. Even in your personal life, you find yourself starting to look at, uh, well, I mean, I'm an activist. I consider myself an activist also. So like I, you know, I have causes that I believe deeply in. And, um, so whenever you're kind of, you know, we had so much happen over these past two years besides pandemic, right. We had a lot going on, um, to fight for and to fight against, <laughs> you know, and to organize around, and anyone that's done any measure of activism in their lives understands the depth of the layers involved in organizing a successful action. So the collaborative work has been really amazing in, in creating our, our covenant for UU Kids Connect and all of that and working with this awesome collective and figuring out what's the framework gonna look like. And I built out a lot of that, but we built out so much of it together, pairing off and figuring out what works and doesn't. You know, when you run into your ego, you start to really think about power structures. And then when events happen in the world that you want to organize around, or you even just are sitting in your living room and having strong feelings about, you want to be aware of power structure. And I was also professionally at a moment where I had to think about creating a religious education committee, right? I can't stand the word committee. I apologize to anyone here. I'm not suggesting that being on a committee is at all a negative, <laughs> but just language, when you're talking about uh, culture transformation, language to me is so important. And so when I was thinking about what does this look like, it was very much starting from scratch at Community Church. Um, instead of committee, I was like, what do I call it? Is it a team? Is it what, you know, what is it? And I came up with an acronym called REST, Religious Education Support Team. Okay, so now I have an acronym. Great, good UU job. <laughs> what am I going to do with this now? And I had to think about power structure. I didn't, I know I'm the director, but I didn't want to be the one calling the shots. I didn't want people showing up in a Zoom room feeling beholden to me. And, and, and I just was not comfortable with, with all of that. If I had been, I probably wouldn't have started all the collaboration in the first place. Um, so the idea that there is this vert traditionally vertical hierarchical power structure we're so used to, particularly in this society we live in this country. And I thought about, I'm very visual, like I make art. So I, I'm a very visual person. I'm thinking about that as a vertical. And what if we flip that into a horizontal? And what if that was the working collective? What does that look like? So to me, uh, the religious education support team, and now in all aspects of my life, I think about this this horizontal working collective is so much more about just recognizing that everyone along, it's more like a project timeline. You have folks along the timeline who all points of value. There are also points where responsibility lives. There's also points where accountability exists. And then there's the accountability of the whole. And within the project timeline, there will be moments where you have to skip ahead two bits for, for something to get done. And you may have to flip back two to get a sign off on a thing. Yes, I'm the director. It is my vision for religious education that, that is the framework within which we're working. But everyone brings something to the table. 
So when we would have meetings, right? Um, not everybody's leaving with an action item, right? Maybe you're leaving with a thought or an idea that you take somewhere else and you connect and you email me back. Hey, it was that thing we were talking about. You know, I know somebody and great, you know, it organically unfolds. It releases pressure. It allows space for everyone to contribute at some point or to just be a bystander who connects later somewhere else, something to what we're doing. Um, just really, really amazing, transformative way of thinking about work, thinking about organizing, thinking about just being in community. Um, when the eighth principle started rolling through into my consciousness, which it really was from the beginning of You Kids Connect, because we were doing eighth, eighth principle in the summer program. But, you know, this idea of accountability is huge like, and working together and building beloved community. What does it mean? How do you do that? Um, and I'm not suggesting that I had all these lofty notions about what this would look like. I only know that I was uncomfortable with the way I was thinking of this traditional structure I had always seen. If somebody asked me to join a committee, I would like run the other way. Just enough already. Like I don't, I don't want somebody to be, I don't want to take minutes. That's my like, worst thing. Like, please, I don't want to take minutes. I'm terrible at it. Fortunately, we have Zoom. I can click record. There's the minutes done. <laughs> Nobody has to take minutes. You can take notes if you want to. And we've got Google Docs and shared docs and all kinds of platforms that support shared live collaborative working. You know, so there were lots of different tech tools that we could use and get people familiar with. And for those who didn't want to even go that route, it could be just about like gathering and connecting later and talking about what we were talking about and who do you know and who do we know and how do you want to fit in, if at all, like, you know, inspiring one another. I don't know. It's just a very, very different way of looking at living for me. Right. Uh, you you gave me a little bit of some you know some horror flashbacks there with talking about taking minutes and uh, it it almost distracted me from my next question I was like oh no no not minutes uh, <laughs> but I I think that what you named there whether it's for religious educators whether it's for activists whether it's just for leaders in communities whether that's our churches or just our our wider communities that support is so necessary I think about how. Um, whether it's, you know, our own friendship and collegial um, friendship as well, that a lot of our conversations, like where, while we may come with a, a given topic and we may work on that topic, a lot of what we do is offer support to each other and working through ideas together and talking through processes and talking about what's going on. And that support is such a critical and necessary thing for us to stay nourished as, as we do this work, but also for processing through some of these things collaboratively you know it's um it's it's not good to always be sitting alone with your ideas and you know i think you, you also kind of name it there that's it's also sometimes we just got to test things out and, and see what works and see what doesn't i think that um the the shift to being digital forced us all to say okay well let's see what works um because we didn't have any other choice um we we found out that lots of things didn't work but we found out other things did uh, and in in the in the before times, maybe we wouldn't have been comfortable with like trying something completely new because it would have been going out of the way of doing it, changing what's always been done. But you know, this is a moment where whether the pandemic, whether issues of racial justice, like that, we're we're reexamining the way that our society has told us this is the way it's always been, and there's no reason we shouldn't reexamine that and how we have our relationships and how we work together and how we and how we do our work. Totally. Totally. I feel like over the last couple of years, right, I'm sure everyone here and everyone everywhere would uh, would agree that it allowed us, if nothing else, aside from everything else, an opportunity to reflect on some things. I'm sure everyone reflected on different things, and maybe some of us haven't even gotten conscious about that we were reflecting or what we were reflecting on. For me, it gave me a real opportunity to take a step back from my canvas, my life, and examine, you know, how things are have been done overall. Like this whole, like, wait a minute, what? Well, hold on, you know, it was such a huge global circumstance that it, it was it was really an unparalleled opportunity for 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 in my view uh, to do that kind of reflecting and. 
you know, thinking about that, looking at this idea of power structures, looking at the idea of being so in our heads about process that we become less effective in our work. It seems like a lot of process is more um, ego invested than it is production invested. Like, I mean, you know, you get so involved in the ownership of your spot, you know, in the process that it, it just, it just, the, the generosity kind of evaporates in that sort of a structure. So it's really interesting to do the work and dive into the layers of the onion that is collaboration um, because it, uh, it sort of thins the lining between me and the next, pe- the next person. And like you were saying, Ember, it really like, I mean, I, I, so I probably full disclosure found some pockets in this time where my oddness could find its home and be really comfortable because I'm generally popping up with these million dollar ideas I think I have all the time and sharing them far and wide. And people are generally looking at me like, my God, how many cups of coffee has she had today? That's just, that's just who I am. But in this context, it's been really wonderful to have automatically sounding boards for the ideas. We're all bouncing them back and forth. And for those who were sort of in a, in a lull, it became a, a big uplifting thing. And it automatically kind of created this more equitable distribution of energy and spirit. Like those of us who were not in need of as much pastoral care in a certain day had more to give. And so we just gave more, not because we had to, but just because we had it. And other folks who needed it felt like that was generative for them. And in the end, it just oftentimes felt just so much more balanced and so much more sharing happened. So, so much more got done, you know? Uh, It was just a complete tectonic shift uh, in where we placed our, the importance of things. A lot of which had to do with letting go the ego which is a constant, by the way, that is for me, a constant, uh, that's like sit-ups. I have to work on that every day. <laughs> you know? right. Not not all the easiest. Uh, you know, I know I was involved in some collaborative efforts around some environmental justice education at, at Forth. And, you know, there's there's that, that ego part of you that's like, okay, well, I better do this thing. But if you, to just sit back and do the part that you've been assigned and to not you know, it's hard sometimes, but it's, you know, it's important. And then building that collaborative process, um, it's, it's a challenge, but it's good. You named also the eighth principle, um, which is something you and I have talked a lot about. Uh, and you also offered a, an education program for teens that was uh, based off of the all eight, but it had specifically a very eighth principle justice focused sort of lens. Would you like to talk about that program a little? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm really excited about the all eight, um, which has launched two seasons of a photography workshop for teens. Um, I think at the beginning when uh, UU Kids Connect developed the eight weeks, eight Unitarian Universalist principles for a summer program, it got me really thinking about when I was thinking about collaborating and sort of maybe it's my just subversive self that wanted to challenge the whole denomination, you know, thinking, you know, we are a hugely white denomination overall. So it, it just is impossible for me to think that if we're really living these, these values and principles we say we're about, that that would be so. It just, I don't understand how that could be so if we're really living it. So I, in my mind, I was like, what can I do to like push that? Like push, let's get to it. So I thought about creating a program for youth. I didn't have any youth in community church at the time other than my own 17 year old who is a a big photography person about to go to Hunter College for film. Um, And I'm really into photography. But I thought, well, all teens have cameras. Even if they don't have digital cameras, every one of them has a phone camera and they're pretty high tech too. What if we were challenging, you know, and I thought, and then again, too, also eighth principle, also, uh, you know, building wider community, widening the circle and thinking about what happens in that gap in so many churches where, the kids like coming of age, they get a little bit into high school, but then they just like disappear off the map. What happens to them? We just wait and hope that they come back when they start families. What happens in that gap? So in my mind, again, thinking about equitable distribution, I started thinking about 
how they're looking at church life. And if they looked at church as a place where they were getting relevant skills, and if I were offering that in a way that attached to our values, wouldn't that be helping to build that bridge during that gap? So I thought about creating all those things considered a photography program where it would be 10 weeks and the kids would use their cameras. Each week we would convene, we would talk about one of the principles, talk about the ideas it brought to mind, and they would go out into their world, wherever their world was, and use their cameras to take shots that were inspired by the key concepts in the principle. We would come back together and we would look at each other's shots and give positive feedback, meaningful feedback, talk about techniques, but it was much less about actual uh, photography technique than it was about um, conveying a really deep message uh, through a visual medium. You know, and the idea for the kids was, listen, you live in a capitalist society. You are force fed messaging from diapers forward. And no one's telling you about fiscal responsibility because that would just totally disempower those corporations that are making all of that money. So how about this is the time for you to have your voice? And it's been great. Like it's, I'm definitely, it's going to explode. I have big plans for where this is going to go. Uh, next year, we're going to do the photography workshop two more times, but we're also going to expand into other areas of the arts. Why not our eight principles through poetry, fine art, spoken word, dance? Why not? You know what I mean? Um, so we, we, we got a, a number of kids in both seasons uh, from different states. I think five or six different states uh, were involved in both seasons. My kid was involved both seasons and loved it. And the kids go away not only with a, a, a more of a skill set in their photography work, more of an interest, but um, also twice I had impromptu moments in the sessions where one of the youth would share that they never thought about it this way and they're now seeing their world completely differently. I mean, come on, like you can't even, this is the best thing ever to hear, you know, how, what a great thing. So it was transformative for them. And uh and connections were made because we, we, we opened a social media uh, channel, which they requested so they could connect there. They're still connecting there. It's the coolest thing ever. Um, collaborative. Uh, we had uh, kids all over the spectrum of identities, which was wonderful. Some of them who definitely did not feel seen and heard, definitely felt very seen and very heard by the end and supported and connected. So, I mean, wonderful, wonderful stuff. And for me, it was an affirmation of if I push this idea, who better to tell the story about whether or not these principles are, are worded? I mean, we're a living tradition, right? So we're going to need to look at this from time to time, the wording of these principles, the concepts. Do we get it right? Is it still true? Who better to tell that story than the young people, right? So when they go out into the world, if they're not seeing, you know, the idea was you could also be taking a picture of the absence of justice and compassion. If you don't see it, take a picture of that. Let's talk about it. What's missing? So enough said there. <laughs> right. Ah, learning from our young people. You know, the kid, the kids will lead the way. Like uh, I am immensely proud of, you know, if I don't, don't want to sound too territorial since we're, you know, we've been talking about that, but I am proud of my kids <laughs> at Fourth Universalist. We, you know, like, it's just amazing. Some of the things that the wisdom that they'll share that can really uh, inspire you to to keep going. So, in in naming the eighth principle, um, what do you think? As as the UU, like you said, is a living tradition. As we go into the future, where could collaboration? Where could these kind of new power systems? Where could that lead us? You think is like a, a denomination in, in your dream world, in in the in the ideal world of changes happening in our in our wider denomination. So let's just start with my dream world for me is reality. <laughs> Until it is, it's considered dream world, but it, I generally expect it will. I totally believe in our value system. I just totally do. And so my faith lives in um, the practice of these values. Um, my faith lives in challenging myself to uh, always, I mean, it's in, you know, this is my, my, 
my quote that I, I, I don't know where it was born from it was right before I became DRE that I had made some serious, I'd gone back to college late in life and, and, and just done everything backwards in the most beautiful way for, for myself that I came with this quote born out of that transformative way of living and reinventing uh, despite what conventional thinking would, would say I should be doing in my forties and fifties uh, that, you know, if you feel uncomfortable, you've reached the doorstep of opportunity. And I do believe that. So I have full faith that with more collaborative effort, if we really are holding ourselves accountable in that work, to put our egos aside, to decenter ourselves, to understand that if you have a good idea, other people have good ideas too. And those, there has to be space made. Um, and that that process of collaboration means it means taking longer. It means things will take longer and they will be more difficult and sometimes arduous and sometimes contentious. And that's the discomfort we need to be feeling in order to understand that we're moving forward. So in my dream world, which will become reality as we do more collaborative things together and look at things this way, is that all of these kids I'm seeing that live everywhere on the identity spectrum Right. And I mean that by by way of race, by way of gender, by way of sexual identities, by way of just feeling odd and othered by uh, uh, other abilities, all abilities. Right. That they they will feel welcome and we will know it because we will be hearing their voices in every bit of the interworkings of everything that we do. There won't be having to make we won't have to be making accommodations for anyone. They will be leading the conversation. You know, one of the things that I did, one of the courses I took was Beloved Conversations. I don't know here who was a part of any of that curriculums. Wonderful, wonderful anti-racist curriculum. And in my learning as uh, coming from a historically centered demographic, like one of my learnings was not only to put the ego aside, but the idea of that it's time to get out of our heads. It's time to do something that's called uh, followership. That was a huge brand new concept for me. What is followership? So this idea of learning how to, to step back, to humble yourself, exactly as you said, Ember, actually, it was an example given that I, I cannot remember, forgive me that I'm, I'm going to totally botch it, but the general idea was that there was this uh, uh, a Black Baptist church and there was a white congregational leader who was uh, invited to be a part of a celebration. I know I'm completely botching the story, but I hope that I get the message across. The message was really clear that this person was like, how can I help? How can I help with this? Well, you know, just get us a sheet cake and, and we'll be good. And, you know, they're looking around and they're seeing like all different things happening and thinking, well, that's not enough. They need more. I, you know, we should do more. We should. And the whole message of the anecdote even though I completely botched it, was that sometimes it's better to just do what was asked. You know what I mean? For me, as a white person, that was important for me to understand that just because you can do more, that doesn't mean that's what's needed in the moment. Sometimes doing more is about taking that step back and humbling yourself. So in collaborative efforts, that's been uh, one thing I've tried to really use and practice. And I think that as a way of living, and being that automatic step back for folks who have traditionally been centered leaves space for those who have been marginalized. Just a thought. <laughs> well, I'm feeling I'm feeling moved as a as a chronic overdoer who's constantly looking for ooh, where what else can I help with? What else can I help with? Yeah, um take a step back, Ember. <laughs> I mean it's a challenge, you know, holding yourself accountable is, is it's a challenge. But I mean uh, part of the I mean, the excitement, the pleasure, the, the goodness that comes out of taking that step back and trusting that things will come together is cultivating leaders like where you wouldn't necessarily expect it. Like it's your opportunity for others to grow, for others to show up, for people that you maybe wouldn't have even thought would be interested in filling in in a role, suddenly being like, okay, let's let's plug you in here. Like this, it's when when you let go of that desire to want to, to do it all yourself, it, it gives so many opportunities for others to to grow and find that leadership that maybe they would have been afraid afraid to do before you know, yeah and so much is actually gained on both sides of that exchange i mean i talk a lot 
And I'm trying to learn the power of silence too. You don't know what other people have to say if you've sucked all the air out of the room. So, I mean, when I was working with the kids on Sunday that I have, who are mostly in the uh, grade range, two to five grade range, um, you know, we were, we were lifting up a Valentine's day. We were giving a little history on St. Valentine and this wild a uh, bunch of stuff around St. That's tough to go into that stuff. Difficult to navigate and also no actual for sure facts either. Um, but one thing that came up when we were just talking about love and getting the kids to talk about what love is to them and what that looks like. I mean, we came across this idea of sometimes love is decentering yourself, asking yourself, am I giving to this person because it's what I need, or am I listening to what it is that they need? You know, and it sounds so simple, but it's actually really, I think as adults, we don't even realize that we're totally like, what's up with the platinum rule? <laughs> you know what I mean, let's like, it's a thing, you know, and it's a challenge for sure. Especially if you've come from a traditionally centered point, you don't even realize how much of an entire system is giving right. you a grief path, so. Right, I mean, so, you know, it's 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 the big challenge of, of how do you begin to build these new systems from inside the old systems, from inside the dying systems? You know, mm. how do you how do you begin to make that that jump? You know, you you have we have these visions, we have these visions for beloved community for a more just world. How do we begin to build that in our own? communities in inside these broken systems that you know we the the good old re reform versus revolution sort of question but uh you know you you have to be building those communities that connection for there to be this radical change yeah um, i i can tell you the very first starting point right off the top and i i know it's just coming from me but getting comfortable with being uncomfortable is a great starting point that's just a great starting point. Just if you just, that becomes your mantra for a while, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, it's not like you need to feel a full itch all day long, but you definitely want to know that you are challenging yourself. I mean, and taking a risk. I mean, I developed, um, some of you might know in that first summer with UU Kids Connect, when we did the eighth principle with these kids, kindergarten through fifth grade, I think we were doing uh, grades three to five that time for that lesson um, I did with Carson Jones from Shelter Rock. And we were thinking, what can we do for an activity for to kind of impart the eighth principle? And I started thinking about this power dynamics and what, what, could, what activity could embody all that that is. And I came up, excuse me, with an eighth principle Jenga game. So I'm now doing eighth principle Jenga with kids. I'm going to be traveling to Judith at Montclair and do it at Judith's uh, congregation. Eighth principle Jenga, you've got the Jenga blocks and on the sides of the blocks, you have social constructs, you know, public transportation, public libraries, public schools, food banks, you know what I mean? All these cell phones, internet, all the things. So whenever it's somebody's turn, you have this slew of opportunities to, to discuss how does it feel to be in this position of power? Would you, you know, would you like uh, help from the collective in making this decision? What do we think about taking this element out? Is it worth everything being dismantled so that we re rebuild more equitably together, right? All these different conversations swirl. And then there's all this nervousness, you know, take that block, take out that block. And we take the block out, society stands, you know, or it falls. So you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because maybe, maybe that's what has to happen sometimes. So, you know, sometimes we're in life situations that are so kind of boxed in. I can't tell you how many times now that I've taken steps in life as a single mom of two, no clue how the heck I was going to do whatever it was, but knew that I couldn't be doing what I was doing. I had to launch off and figure it out. And I came to the conclusion time and time again, watching it work out, that as long as I knew what and why, that the how would find its way. For me, it was really like, honestly, if I knew having a, my first kid in 1992, that I would need to effectively be a millionaire to raise that child, would I have really done that? <laughs> Probably not. But the how worked its way out. I sure knew what and why. Right. So I just sort of like use that as a metaphor. 
and, you know, got comfortable with being uncomfortable. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in that one for a second there. <laughs> marinating. Uh, I am marinating. I almost said salivating, but wrong, wrong word choice. <laughs> Each their own. Each their own. Um, but uh, I'm kind of curious. So we, we are planning to have some, some open Q&A time here coming up. But as a, as a last thing for me, um, I suppose I wonder, uh, you know, we, we've been talking a little bit about our dreams, our visions, our ideas. What are, what are some ideas and innovations and possibilities that you're dreaming of now and hoping for and planning for in the future? What, are, what do you see being some, some innovations that you hope we can, can make happen? You talking to me? Is that a question to me? Yeah, this is for oh you. I'm so excited about that question. You have no idea. That's like an invitation for you don't even know what. And I then we'll so open up for your overall question. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see, I mean, can I say out what I, what, right? I want to see Let's do it. Uh, from the beginning, I've been wanting to see a, a UU media channel where there's UU programming coming from all congregations like PBS. You know what I mean? Why not? Let's just have one flow of all kinds of cool stuff for adults to nursery age. Let's do that. Let's let's have a teaching uh, a, a platform where we can have, you know, let's widen the welcome and keep making more connections with kids, with adults. Let's support each other. We don't belong just to churches. We are, we are, we belong to a denomination and we build it as we go. So like everything that we can do to uh, transcend our walls and welcome each other in to shared space um, and continue to work using tools like covenant, which is such a great tool. I mean, every week I create this peaceable being, I'll show you right here. The see over there on the whiteboard, uh, the, the big pad there, that, that figure that's the peaceable being. So we, you know, traditionally in the in the physical space, we lay them down, outline the kids, and write all the behaviors we look to to we would like to have in the shared space inside the being, all the behaviors we would like not to have outside, and cut it out. So then you're just left with a covenant, which is just this wonderful thing. And I tell kids every single week that when we step out of covenant, because we all will, because being human is messy work that we have this beautiful covenant we will invite each other back into this shared agreement instead of calling one another out. Like we have the tools as you use to really set the tone for a much better world. I mean, I know it sounds massively lofty, but why not? Some of these kids are gonna go into government. Some of these kids are gonna enter into traditional vertical hierarchical power structures that exist in a white supremacist system you know, uh, rooted in slavery and all kinds of horrible, awful things, you know, um, abominations. And they're going to confront the ironies and the layers of the onion and all the truths because we can't run from that. That's the DNA of this nation. And until we are willing to like stick with that, that it's not like, let's not, you know, get discursive and talk, talk about other things. Let's like really rest with that for a while. We're going to be always running into that. So the better equipped they are, the, the, you know, the more everything will, will change. And if they've seen this kind of collaborative model in action all along the way, they get it. I mean, come on, they already get so many things on a spectrum that, that we never did when we were younger. So they just get it. It's like, yeah, with it. Amazing, wonderful. I we in fact we were we were before in our prep time as we as we prepared for this conversation we were even dreaming up new ideas and it just it happens anytime that Jill and I end up on a Zoom together that we start bouncing ideas off of each other. It's find find a colleague, find a friend that that can be that person for you to to bounce those ideas off of. I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, so we are going to move into an open Q and A time. I did have a few folks uh, send messages that that had to leave early, but that they kind of hoped to to hear some of the Q and A. Um, so. Traditionally, we've just turned off the recording uh, when we got to this section. Um, but if you want to share in the chat uh, so that you don't have to maybe be on the recording, or if you want to ask me to pause the recording uh, and I can edit it so that um, that section is also left out, um, I would not want anybody to be on the recording that would feel uh, uncomfortable with being on recording. 
uh, that takes a high priority for me. So um, I see we already have one question in the chat, but so either feel free to drop something in the chat or to hit the good old hand raise icon. Physical hand raising also works too. Um, but uh, we, we want to hear from you. And like I said, if you're uncomfortable uh, being on the recording, feel free to let me know as you start talking and we can hit pause and uh, I can edit out um, any of that. Um, so Jill, I see from the chat, um, do, we, do we have anyone that has experience using this for the whole UU church as opposed to like on these more local levels? Um, um, for, for, from what I know in community church, it's, <laughs> it's starting with me and we'll see where that, where that takes off. Um, I, like I said, I am blessed to have the green light and, and a lot of autonomy to, to build from scratch and innovate. Um, but I haven't seen it happen on a wider scale yet. I imagine that it will. I have a lot of, there's a lot of uh, church interest in how this is working. So it's working right. well. Right. When I think, um, you know, I, so my, for, for those who don't know me, I have a background in uh, the United Church of Christ. I have a background in about 10 other denominations. It, it was a journey to get to the UUA. Um, and uh, the UUA is, is definitely its own thing. And um, I um, have been really excited to be part of it for the last year and a half. I don't know that I've seen, like you said, anything necessarily on uh, denomination-wide, but I, it does feel like there is a movement towards changing. You know, I think about like the uh, the movement to adopt the eighth principle feels very much like a, a it's a community-led thing. It's happening in the grassroots of a lot of the churches that are adopting it. I know that's how it worked in, in our congregation, that um, it happened at a, a little bit of a grassroots level um, and that, you know, it's ultimately up to the congregations to vote on it. Like it, it feels like a movement that is reminding us um, uh, a collaborative about switching to that collaborative model. I do know at, and I'm curious maybe at community church because I see, um, was wondering about individual churches. I know we did switch to like a team model versus committees. And sometimes that's definitely more of just a, let's tack a name on on a thing, but then other times I do think that it has led to restructuring of how we how we did things into more collaborative systems. Whereas uh, I think with my own, like you mentioned, your religious education um, team, we shifted ours from being, you know, like we had a teacher team, we had a the team that helped the, the overall RE, and to switching it to be something that is a kind of all of those partners and the volunteers all working together, where we can um, be be bringing that uh, together. Um, so I mean, I think there is some congregations that are moving that way. Um, as someone with experience in other denominations, I think that, you know, maybe there's folks out there like, you know, the, the Quakers come to mind um, for uh, denominations that are very radically uh, egalitarian and trying to think outside the box on, on ways to structure um, faith communities. But um, that's, uh, that's what comes to my mind. I don't know if you have anything else there, Jill. Well, it just brings to mind this idea of rethinking the decision makers on the project timeline, if you will, or on this horizontal working collective, just because you are in that position where, yes, some, some, some may have a lot of weight there. That's true. Um, but that doesn't mean that it didn't require every other point on the, on the, in the collective to get to that point. And so there, yes, you have to take accountability for your spot. And the rest of the points on that horizontal uh, collective need to take accountability for the process that occurred to get to that point. And it's just a different way about like kind of distributing the responsibility and the idea around accountability. Um, so that, you know, it, it, I don't, it's just, I, I do think a lot of that has to do with decentering the ego. I don't think we realize how much our egos stand in the way I don't think it's an intentional thing on anyone's part, but uh, but it, it just it's it's a bugger of a thing as a human being. It just it throws it makes messiness <laughs> of what could be organized work. But it you know that's what it brings to mind. So it you know for larger systems like UUA, I mean there's there are a lot of structures, a lot of projects going on, a lot of processes that need to work. So shifting culture in that way is going to take time. And it's going to be a little crunchy sometimes, and that's just what it is. Oh, most certainly, yeah. It, it not always easy. Not not always easy. Um, let's see. Looking through 
um, you're talking about different um, models at Springfield, Missouri, UU. Um, what I mean, there's almost part of me that as I was, uh, as we were talking that, um, I, you know, we've talked about the tendency to silo. I mean, that happens within our own congregations, but I think that sometimes can also have with such a very strong congregationalist model like the UU is, where each congregation has its own self that that oftentimes we maybe don't hear about something cool, you know, happening. If you're not plugged in in the right places, you don't hear about these cool things that are maybe happening at, at other congregations. So I think, you know, working on those sort of structures that enable us to have uh, better communication across uh, our communities is really important. Um, and yeah, and also... using the tools that are available to us too. I, I definitely noticed that when we start, when the pandemic hit, like the first thing you used did was create all these Facebook groups. It was wonderful. They broke it out into tech groups and religious education groups and ministerial groups and youth playhouse group and and everybody was sharing information and you know it, it's it, that has continued till now. So using the tools that we have. Um, is really really great. I mean, we need to do that and embrace that. Oh, here's one that I'm I'm really liking um, uh, because it it, res it resonates a little. Do you do you ever get fatigued at being the ideas and make it happen person? Uh, and how do you move past that, or how do you get your excitement to ignite others so that you don't get to be that that fatigued? Um, yeah, I'd be curious your thoughts. How do you how do you uh, use your passion to not burn yourself out, but to like get others passionate as well? So I'm someone who doesn't feel like I have to be the ideas person. The ideas just come, and I have to like keep, you know keep a cap on it sometimes because it's just too much for a lot of people. And um, you know it's not easy to always be hearing somebody talk about ideas that you can so easily think, oh, that's a dreamer. You know, just always something. I, I uh, create documents. Um, every every uh, uh, device that I have has a folder on it called Million Dollar Ideas. <laughs> True story. And I have documents of ideas in every one of those folders. Um, so the, I just don't place a lot of pressure on feeling like I have to be that person to ignite. I don't feel like I have to be the person that inspires. I challenge myself to you know, that little girl that was always considered very weird. Um, I challenge myself to be that and own it. And if other people vibe with it, let's work together. And that's it. And if that's not where I am, and it doesn't look like it's going to happen where I am, then whatever it takes, I need to be somewhere else. I need to move where the purpose carries me. So and for each one of us, that will be different. And some of us will, yeah, I feel like we're all cells and sometimes we collide, sometimes we merge and yeah, it just is what it is. So I don't put a lot of pressure on myself to be that person. But I do know that if I suggest an idea, as a you, you knows, you also have to be prepared to, to, to put it forward and really make it happen. So I get that. It's all right. I mean, I, I too think you're weird, but it's that, <laughs> it's that that brought us together, our shared weirdness. <laughs> um, you know, I think that um, kind of going off what you said there, I think it's also important to, I mean, it, it's hard sometimes to, I mean, it's hard even for me to almost to say this, but to let things fail sometimes, like that you have to be okay with just saying, okay, well, I don't have the ability to do this. Like I, as, as we switched from fully online to uh, multi-platform that I had to admit to myself, like, okay, I literally cannot do all of these things. What things do I choose to let go? And that was hard. That, yeah. is, that is hard work. But I think that's analysis that, that has to happen. Um, I have to say, I also think uh, that on a horizontal, look, thinking about things transforming to a horizontal working collective model, you also leave space for that these ideas are in the pocket there will be a time when it makes sense for that to happen. So you just record them and put an outline to them if you want, but just that's where faith comes in. Like it, that will happen when it's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. There'll be something else and stars will align and that'll just work, you know, but it is true that for, for people that have a lot of ideas like this, self-care is my biggest challenge. So thinking about sustainability, thinking about developing healthy boundaries and sticking to those and, calling your days off and letting those really be days off. Obviously it's an ongoing challenge, but uh, it's a really important for sure to sustain the work. Okay, next up we have how, how do we do this in like a, a small church with limited 
volunteers and staff, how do you move to a horizontal model there? Well, I mean, I, for me, it just, it, you just scale it. I mean, whoever you have, you, you want to, I mean, I, for me, it starts from a really fundamental root of our first principle, the inherent worth and dignity of every person. So just, just, you know, giving a celebration right off the top to just say very simply, like we're, we're having a celebration. What's the celebration for? The celebration is all the gifts that you guys bring collectively into the space. Then we can start flushing it out. Maybe you're sending out surveys to folks to see what kind of areas they really feel most drawn to in church life. What really drew them to the denomination in the first place? What do they love most about this church? What do they wish for? What are their dreams? Tap into, you know, how many people don't feel heard or seen? I mean, I spent a good part of my life not feeling heard or seen. So, yeah, I still, that's still sometimes a, a you know, a thing for me. Um, people need that. And, and when they feel valued in that way, you'll start to hear things if you take the moment to step back and listen. Uh, and, and then you'll draw on that and, and allow for them to lead sometimes people that may have never stepped up to the plate. Just have faith that give them a chance, you know. Right, and I think there's some there's some level that um, uh, having a smaller congregation is you know perhaps even I don't want to say simpler. It's never the right word, um, but that it's more beneficial at that small level that if you're spreading around the work that it's going to be more efficiently happening because um, you're you're sharing the work instead of one person having to basically pull along a whole a whole community. Um, I'm yeah, scrolling. also, if you have more people, you naturally need to build structures in order to work effectively. It's just natural the way that we that things happen in order for things to happen. The more cogs you have, the more mechanics you have to have to make everything work the right way. So when you're talking about a really small congregation, I mean, what a, an awesome opportunity you have to decide the identity of things and to be the root and the seed of everything, you know? Right. What? Well, uh, I mentioned my UCC background, but as a young young one, I um, I was raised in the evangelical tradition, um, and well, besides the religious trauma, um, I was also gifted though with lots of thinking about how to like grow these communities. Um, and you know, I, to me, as I think about uh, the, the challenge of horizontal community, horizontal leadership in a smaller community. It gets me thinking that you're cultivating leaders who are then going to be maybe talking to people and they're going to be like, hey, I'm interested in your community. And, you know, it's, it's an opportunity for growth, too, because you're cultivating leaders and then those leaders are causing people to be interested in what's going on in your community. And, you know, it's a the, there's still that little evangelical in the back of in the back of my brain that thinks about these sorts of things. I have to tell you, there's a big part of me that has been growing this idea for so long about how many times we've gone to a, a store, you know, some mundane grocery shopping or something, and you encounter a bank or, you know, like some social services institution or whatever, and you encounter somebody that is so totally and thoroughly disgruntled. They are so unhappy where they are, court system, whatever it is, your jury service, like there's people that just clearly don't want to be there. They're there for a paycheck. They're there because they bought into this idea of benefits and retirement at 68. For Christ's sake, you've lived miserable lives so that you could turn 68 and like, what? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and to me, I feel like if, if there were a way for things to transcend themselves in a way where everyone was kind of falling more into what it is that they were really feeling called to do, that things would be more efficient, quality would just be better, quality of life would just be better, you know, everybody would be generally happier. I know that sounds really idealistic, but I don't think that that's too far reaching of a possibility. And honestly, the great resignation, I don't know. I feel like it's a giant sifter and it's, and it's uncomfortable. And some people are now falling into places that they felt like they were called to do because they, they realized the benefit of time and the value of time. And they took a risk because there was a global context that said, I mean, clearly anything's possible, right? So, right. That also could be positive. So. I will admit exciting. for a second there, when you, when you were saying that people are unhappy about jury, I almost thought that you were going to say people were unhappy about being in New Jersey, but uh, you oh, know, that's, no. that's just my nor dare. northern New Jersey mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't dare. Um, scrolling through here just to get these, these last couple as we as we wrap up and uh, we have having experienced eighth principle Jenga, I wish I could have added and not just removed. 
um, some of the blocks. Oh, man, and now I gotta. Next time we hang out in person, Jill, we're playing uh, Eighth Principal Jacob. Totally, I'm totally down. Putting in a request. Um, there were some... kids that asked me, "Are can we? Can we? When we take them away, can we just? Can we turn them into something else?" I said, "That's the whole thing. If you take it away, and we think about dismantling the whole system, we think about rebuilding more equitably. So yeah, we can always rethink these things. Sure, of course." Uh, and so shifts in culture, looking, beginning to look at our structures and processes with that anti-racist, anti-oppressive sort of lens. Yeah, that's such that's such crucial work in, in moving to this more collaborative style is looking at the ways that these systems were set up to um, privilege specific people. Yeah, and I think a lot of us who do come from historically uh, centered demographics, um, we don't we don't realize how how we get with attachment so it's really important to practice letting go of what that feels like also uncomfortable but necessary well jill it was wonderful to have you today as a guest thank you to all of everybody who uh attended as well um i really um appreciate all of these amazing questions and uh, Jill, just thank you so much for for sharing your wisdom thank with you us. Thank you for having me. It's been thank you everybody for coming on the Zoom. I hope that it was enriching in any way. It's you know, get at me if you need to or Ember. We're, we are ready with collaborative ideas. Please believe. Mm -hmm.